Let's face it, boss mama life can be hard. A constant juggle between success and family and taking care of mama too. What the hell were we thinking, Liz? I don't know. From school runs, office meetings to cooking dinner, boss mama life can be hard. Are we crazy to think we can have it all? I mean, are we are we good moms? What if I'm not spending enough time with my kids? Did someone say we should limit our kids to one hour of screen time? When was the last time you got your nails done? Who says we can't have pizza or pasta every night? I'm not even going to tell you how long it's been since I've had sex. Relax, Mama. We've all been there. And the good news is that, yes, you can have it all. And you don't need to feel like you're alone in the process. Join us, Laura and Liz, as we keep it real about Boss Mama Life. We interview incredible women around the world who have actually made a business from their passions and created a whole life they love. This is a spot where they share their tips, tools, and tricks, which help you level up your game. It won't be easy. It takes grit and soul to feel magic. But with a little boss mama mindset, you can reach your dreams. So on that note, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite cocktail and put on your headphones. Yeah, sometimes we use language which may be inappropriate for your little ones. And get cozy with us as we interview today's Lady Boss Mama. Okay. How is everyone? How are you, Laura? Doing well. Finally made it to New York City today, and it is brutally cold. <laughs> oh, I know. I grew up over there, so I'm, I know how those winters can be. But we had the most fabulous time in West Point, and the wedding was just so beautiful of my friend Katie and we met so many interesting people that do all sorts of different roles in the military and intelligence. And it was quite, it was quite a diverse, culturally diverse and diverse in terms of like, you know, just thinking and perception. So it was a very interesting wedding. It's such a different world. Yeah. I'm intrigued by it. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. Me too. So are you getting ready for the holidays? I'm ready, girl. I'm, I did some Christmas shopping this morning. And I'm not even going to stress on it because I remembered something from last year. I remember thinking after the kids had opened up their presents, I'm like, it didn't matter that I wanted to get 10 more gifts. It did not matter. So I'm just going to roll with what we got and make some good food and be happy. (laughs) That's actually why we started traveling over the holidays because we didn't want it to be about the gifts anymore. We just wanted it to be about the experiences. And I really think that it's hard because obviously traveling to the holidays, especially to cold weather, is not easy. But it does really open his mind a little bit differently, I think, Aiden. So it's more about spending time together, right? Totally. Yes. I am so excited today. We are going to catch up with Bette Gillette and we're going to talk to her about what it takes to have your own business for anyone out there that's afraid to jump in or for anyone that's already got a business and you're at a breaking point where you're not sure, should I keep going or is it going to actually turn out okay? As we all go through those. So I wanted to introduce Bet and first ask if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. <laughs> well, hello there. It's actually Beata Chalette. And, you know, a quick story to that. So 
when you ever go to Italy, you know, as you like to travel and you go into St. Peter's and you look up at St. Peter's, it says right there, Beatus, which is the original root of my name. And it means the bringer of gladness, the godsend. So clearly my parents had very high hopes. So when somebody introduces me, I always wait for that, you know, awkward moment or that slight puzzled look. And then I know they're talking about me and I get up and they say, how do you know it was me? You know, I was going to talk to you next. I said, well, that's because I know it's a very difficult name. So the pronunciation is Beate Chillette, and I am a Los Angeles-based trainer. I am known as the growth architect. I founded the Women's Code, and my company now provides training in two different categories. One is entrepreneur skills training to help people and to help businesses to really build a solid foundation and to grow, build, and scale your business. And then as part of this, and the Women's Code is leadership, specifically gender equal leadership. And so I have now begun to train in corporate, in corporations and organizations and help them understand why women are really good for business without alienating the men. I love that. Before we get into more of that, because we have several questions around all of that, What got you to where you are? What's the reason you do what you do? The story really is, you know, I'm at the very core of it. I'm the unruly misfit, you know, the creative that just didn't fit in very well. I'm originally from Germany and in Germany, we take a lot very seriously. And so when I was going through an aptitude test at my graduation, you know, I went through 16 pages of just, you know, talking about all the things that I could possibly be interested in. And it was always the same answer. There's too many applicants and no jobs available. You know, want to be a jewelry designer, want to be a textile designer, want to be a photographer. And the answer was always no, 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 no. And then finally I decided I was going to be a photographer anyway. And so I realized very quickly that the business side of things came very natural to me. And I just loved sort of the dealing, the building things off the business. That's my creativity much more than the actual creativity. It was that that I loved the most. And so I became very quickly photo editor at Elle magazine in Germany. So I was 23 years old. I'm running the photo department at Elle magazine by anybody's account, a probably pretty good job. But I found that when you are very successful, very quickly, very early on, that people will do things for you because of the position you have, but not because of the person you are. So I wanted to become the person that I really wanted to be. And I decided I was going to immigrate to the United States and do something I've never had, you know, the courage to do. So I came here, you know, a long time ago. I don't even want to say how long ago that was, but a very (laughs) long time ago. And I began representing photographers and producing still photography shoots. I worked with phenomenal clients, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, and Levi's, Wrangler. So, you know, great brands and, you know, became pretty successful again, running a business that had these kind of two divisions. And then one day I realized that something was going on, you know, and maybe you guys can relate to this, that, you know, you wake up one day and you just have this pit in your stomach and you don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong and you have to figure out what that is. And I fired my employee, realized I fired her too late. She had come up with this plan to set up a business, which was my business just without me. Suddenly invoices I wrote were paid to them. It was a mess. So I sued them both because again, in Germany, you know, we have to be right. Hmm. And I'm in this huge fight and this huge lawsuit for an entire year. But I'm thinking, you know, because production season's rolling around, I'm going to be okay. 
But then September 11th comes and within one day, my whole production business was wiped out. I lost a half a million dollars in one day. And if that wasn't enough in all of this, you know, so the lawsuit settles, but you know, I'm in so much debt that I'm drowning and I you know, go to Germany to drum a business. And my dad has a stroke, but my dad didn't have a stroke. My father had pancreatic cancer. So now on top of all of that, my father dies and within a few weeks, you know, this whole thing, you know, it's just game over. And and this is sort of this moment. And I think a lot of, you know, we will be talking a lot about this a little bit more, what it takes sort of in these breakdown moments to get to the breakthrough where you go, okay, can it get any worse? And it did, you know, we now got a phone call while I am literally at the funeral and I'm now losing my house as well, you know, where I lived and worked with my daughter, you know, and I was a single mom at the time. So, you know, how do you get out of something like that? But I had written a business plan and I had written in my desperation a letter to the president of the United States. And I got an answer from the White House and it says, the president is delighted to hear from you. I am certain that he never read my letter but it put me in touch with the small business administration and they found a bank to restructure my debt. And within like three months after my debt was restructured, you know, I came to break even. And then 18 months later, I was able to sell my business to no other than Bill Gates for millions of dollars. And sort of this is the point that, you know, there's a long answer to your question is like, how do I get to do what I do today? After the acquisition, I realized that there's such little information for women, working women, working mothers out there that tells you no bullshit straight up. How do you do it? How do you get through it? How do you make it work? How do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of your baby? How do you take care of your business? How do you build your business? And how do you stand up you know, in this male-dominated everything? And how do you set up a business for sale? And then after I sold and my company had been, you know, acquired and, you know, the integration was completed, they offered me a job and I became, you know, senior director for global entertainment for this company. And we had divisions in eight countries in the world. And I was just shocked how bad it is for women out there. And that's how I, you know, then I quit and I retired for a week and I set up my next business, founded the Women's Code. And ever since I've been really in service of women leaders, helping all of us to, you know, have an easier time achieving our version of success because it is really hard. Yeah, totally. Can you tell us what are some of the tools that you have these women implement? Like, where do you start? You know, I think the first thing that I really, really encourage everybody to think about is what is it that you want? Because it is so easy to get sucked into that nonsense you know, of reading what internet marketers are writing and what people that are in business of, you know, mastering search engine optimization and all these technologies, what they tell you that you can in four hours a week make a million dollars within the next month. That's not possible. If you are going to do that, 
then you have to have this big lead up and you, you know, this is sort of when opportunity meets being prepared and having done the work. But, you know, one of the things is really get very clear what it is that you want. And this is when you work with the women that you inspire and when their feedback comes back, it's very difficult for women to be clear what they want. Most of the time we know what we don't want. But when somebody says, hey, what would make you really happy right this very moment? I bet your kids would know, but how come we don't know? It's very fascinating that you say that's the first step. Liz and I just started a mastermind and we have some women in there, all entrepreneur mamas. And the very first thing that we're starting with is, well, they're limiting beliefs. So things that, you know, they're telling themselves that they can achieve. But then before we get into any of the business stuff, we start with the reason why. And so is that hard for people to articulate? And how, on average, do people think that they know, but then they find out something different along the way? I think that most of the time, it is a very simple reason. Because when was the last time somebody asked you, what do you want? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just not in the vocabulary how we raise women. It's not in the vocabulary when we work somewhere. It's never in the vocabulary. The only time it ever comes up is like, what do you want to have for dinner? And that is for many of us a big challenge. So we seem to be in this moment of making up what we want as things sort of unfold. And when you do that, you just can never reach the point where you then can give your brain that signal that says, I've achieved it, or I'm happy, or I've gotten somewhere, because you never have anywhere to go. You know, you always bumble along. So I think it's really critical. And I'm so glad you are starting with this in your mastermind. What a brilliant idea, you know? So you intuitively, naturally start with the first step. It's like, what do I want? What would make me really happy right this very moment? Yeah, and Laura is the master of this. And I understood when we started this, this is really the first step. This is where you have to go. Everyone doesn't want to do the work, but when you really commit to it is where you will start to have it unfold and really lead to the correct path. And I think it's so important. Yes. And as I'm sure you're finding out, this is oftentimes incredibly emotional for women to just do something so simple as figuring out what it is that we want. Is there a point... And in your training of the woman's code, I was watching an episode of Marie Forleo TV. She's a very inspirational woman. I'm not sure if you know who she is, but she lets her audience call in to her show and somebody called in and it was about values. So once you're very clear on what you want and what your values are, then there can be opportunities that come up that look really attractive and they may appear to be what would be valuable to bring you exposure or connect you to the right people, but they don't feel right to you because they somehow don't mix with the values of why you want to do something and why you want to build something. So have you ever been there? And what was it like for you? Have you had to say no? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So values is really kind of critical. I believe that the understanding of why you do what you do is the key drive. I mean, for me, it is. So I have said, you know, and I've been saying this for a long time. So at the end of the day, when it's all said and done and you will go to my tombstone, I wanted to say, here lies a woman who was instrumental in defining women leadership. That 
drives everything for me. That drives every decision, that drives every thought, that drives every development of every program, that drives every business decision, that drives every personal decision. Because if I'm going to need to have time for self-care, then does this fit into my idea of somebody who is defining women leadership? Well, yes, it does. Because if I don't take care of myself, then what example am I setting? If I am going off on somebody on LinkedIn, what does that say about my mission? Am I congruent with where I want to go or not? So I find that the value proposition, your own, you know, and I call it the professional value proposition, that defines at the very core who you are, but it takes a little bit of time to figure that out. Sometimes I, you know, and you ask me, what advice can I give? The advice really is sometimes it's the opposite of what you don't want, because for some reason, it's easier for us to say what we don't want. But if we don't want that, then what would be the positive of that? I think that fits really nicely in with your mindset thing. Because the mindset is about the limiting beliefs. It's like, well, I cannot run my own business. Well, then what's the opposite of that is I can be a business owner. All right. So do you want to be a business owner? So there are things that, you know, we just have to sometimes trick our brain or our thinking in going at it a little bit backward. And it is simply because we've never been taught as women. Certainly my generation has never been taught to do this. And I remember my mother to this day, my mother tells me that men don't like women like me and that I am too outspoken and that nobody will ever marry me and that she's really sad because, you know, I'm just that kind of person. She doesn't acknowledge my success. You know, she's just worried about who I am as a sort of woman in her limited belief system as to what she knows. And we're going to be up against this every day, all day, our entire lives to some extent. Yeah, that's a very interesting conversation, I'm sure. I have some conversations that are quite interesting with my family too, but mostly about politics and religion. (laughs) You know, I think it would be great to kind of look at your life back at the moment where you were in debt as a single mom and you were reaching out to the president. What was going on? What kind of doubts did you have or fears? Like, And what were the ways that you, you know, overcame that on a day-to-day basis that you could give as advice to others who are in that similar rut where they're just like, how am I ever going to get out of this? Great question. The very, very first and most important advice I would give is you're going to feel fear. And it is so bad at times when you look at the dead and you look at your situation and you look at what you want and you look at the reality of what is. And there's such a big disconnect that you, in your head, you go, it's just never going to happen. And that's okay. But the trick is that you have to limit the amount of time to throw yourself that pity party. So you, you know, give in for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes, go all out and that's it. And then you're done. When I couldn't pay my bills, I trained myself to only worry about money twice a month when I had to pay bills. And then I, you know, did some very creative things and I figured it out and I stressed out for that entire day. And then I had to put that aside because if I would have stayed in that mindset the entire time I run my business, everybody would have noticed, you know, would have driven every decision of mine. And you just simply cannot afford that. There's a Chinese proverb that says, 
stop worrying about things that you cannot change. There was nothing I could have done differently. I did everything I could and then you got to let it go. So the mindset here is not to try to convince yourself to think positive because I think that you know, in a way, you know, this whole idea of the secret that you can sit on the couch, eat potato chips and just think positive and then all this great stuff's going to happen. I have not found that to be effective. What I have found is effective is to set small goals along the ways and then to celebrate those victories, which goes back to what we talked about. When you set what you want and you then say, oh, what I had said I wanted is I wanted to have a full day where I didn't worry about a single thing. And I've achieved that. Hooray. This is my accomplishment for the day. Now you're signaling to yourself that you're an achiever and you're signaling to your brain happiness. And that is how you snowball the positive actions instead of denying that the negatives are happening. And another technique I have is actually a meditation technique from the Sikhs, it's called Satnam Razayan. And in this meditation, it basically puts you in a position of a meditative state where you acknowledge every experience as equal. So the wind is equal to what you're thinking, is equal to what you're hearing, is equal to what your body is experiencing. So it's about equalizing every single sensation as one, you know, not as, oh my God, this is so much bigger. This is so much more frightening. This is so much more difficult, but everything has sort of the same weight that you give to it. And that for some reason really, really helped me to get that concept down of not freaking out. But the key to everything is one word. It's courage because you are going to feel fear and it's going to choke you. Your heart's going to beat out of your chest. You're going to feel like a failure, like a fraud, like an imposter. And you're just going to have to have the courage and do it anyway. That's my secret. You just do it. Yeah. I don't think at any time when you were in that position, you just pushed forward. I mean, if you had stepped back and not decided to push forward, you would have been met with, you know, I think adversity on that. So that's inspiring. Yeah, you you cannot allow yourself. It just simply isn't that you cannot permit yourself to do this. I love it. What struck me is also something you said, which is courage. I love that word. And I feel that fear, you know, can paralyze us. And it's really, you know, having the courage to keep going. What do you say to women? Do you work with women that sometimes are a little bit of perfectionist and they want to have the whole plan laid out before they get going? And what's the advice that you tend to give those women? You know, perfectionism is a really hard thing to overcome. It is so ingrained in many of us that we believe that we have to be perfect to get something done, right? So perfectionism is really an insecurity. And the perfectionism myth is for women that are not willing to show vulnerability. Vulnerability is, I'm going to give you a better example. So if you've ever been to a funeral, and I have been to many of them, but if you've ever been to a funeral, 
What do people say about this person? They say they did this funny thing with their hand or every time they called me, he says, yo, what's up? You know, and he did it when he was 75 years old and they make fun and they cherish the memories of your imperfections. Nobody ever remembers you because you got all, you know, 10 scores right because you marked that perfectly because you did something great. Every single memory people have of you or what you do for them is about imperfection. I tell, you know, all of my clients, everybody I've ever worked with, I said that which you think is so difficult about yourself to come to terms with is your greatest selling point. How about Bob Fosse, you know, the great choreographer, he did this funny thing with his head you know, where he tilted his head because he couldn't keep his head straight. And they told him that he was never going to be a dancer. So he invented, you know, dancing with this hat. And who danced with that hat move? Michael Jackson made that his trademark. That was a Bob Fosse move. Or mm -hmm. that like weird like little slide with that foot. That was a Bob Fosse imperfection that he then implemented in his dance. It is the stuff that makes us truly unique. So if you chase imperfection, you are hindering yourself from owning and showcasing that, which is what makes you so special. I love that. I didn't know that about Fosse and Michael Jackson. It's fascinating. Oh, there's story after story after story like that out there. And when you really look into that and when you pay attention to what that is, it's like that makes you be unapologetically your, you know, you and your own, because people say like, be yourself, everybody else is taking, but what does that mean? That's what that means. It means that perfection is the illusion that you are the combination of your top 10 friends that are really good in 10 different things. And for some reason, you can incorporate the best of everybody into one person. And because that is not possible, because you cannot cook like Gordon Ramsay and because you cannot decorate like Martha Stewart and you don't have a body like, you know, one of the biggest loser trainers, you know, and you just can't do all of that because they're only good at that one thing. That's their business. So find that one thing you're good at and stop worrying about the rest. The one thing. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I wrote about that actually today on my social page about imperfection. I've had a little bit of a, a doozy beginning of a trip where there were things going wrong and I sort of lost my cool. And at first I felt really guilty for doing that. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> I'm pregnant. <laughs> it wasn't an easy journey. And let me just say I'm not perfect. <laughs> And move on. But yeah, you know, the laughing at yourself and knowing you're not perfect is really important, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what? Especially when you have small children and you're figuring out this new mom thing and how are you going to be a good mom? You recognize all the stuff that comes up that you swore you're never going to be and you're hearing yourself and it sounds like your mom. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's the worst. <laughs> oh my God, it's the worst. And you say, did that just come out of my mouth? That is just the worst. So you know, that's when the perfection creeps back in because you like read everything, everything has to be organic, you know, it's the baby this, the baby that, and then it's you and you want to look good and then you don't feel great and then, you know, your breasts are huge and your hips oh. are not quite exactly and your stomach's not as tight and you go, what in the world is happening to me here? You know, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be one of those hot moms like Heidi Klump, you know, who walks a catwalk one week after 
she's given birth. What you don't know is that there was a whole team of plastic surgeons and tummy tuck people who had helped her to get quickly back to her form, which is just not available or advisable for many of us. And it is just such a bad service of many of these women out there who are denying that they have injections and denying that they have plastic surgery and they're denying all the work that they get done because it makes everybody else look bad. Absolutely. Because then we're like, well, how are you doing it? What's your secret? (laughs) I tell you what my secret is, is a great injector and it is, you know, good self-care and it is, you know, personal trainers and it is, you know, as many procedures as I can afford and as I want to do to myself. That's the secret. You don't look better when you get older. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, Beate, who's your client? Like, who is your number one client aside from corporate? Like, top women leaders reach out to you, and what are they reaching out to you to help with? Yeah, so in the entrepreneur space, I have quite a few private clients that I work with, and they're generally they're all over. I mean, they're creatives. I have a wonderful dance photographer in New York who is just killing it. And you know, when she called me first, she was crying on the phone because she wanted to have a $60,000 a year business. Now she's making a half a million in three years. So, you know, she's phenomenal. So I work with a lot of creatives, a lot of misfits. I work with consultants. I have a company out of Buffalo, New York that I work with. They are leadership consultants and they took a training day with me on how to sell more. And then they closed the within a 24 hours, a $100,000 job. So that's, I think, my fastest return of investment I could ever provide a client with. <laughs> instant, wow. instant gratification. And, you know, I help a woman right now here in Los Angeles who does medical aesthetic consulting, which is why I know a lot about plastic surgery and these procedures and kind of who gets them, everybody, because I have some insider scoop here. So it goes all across the board. Most of the time it is businesses that are already established to some point, but they are hitting a snack and they really need to grow, build and scale. And my specialty really is to develop unique business systems. So sometimes when somebody has an high knowledge base. They want to, you know, put it all in one hour and then, you know, whatever, charge some fee for it and give everybody everything. And I help them to take sort of this whole knowledge and string it together like a string of pearls and then sell each one of these pearls as individual item, which is easier on the client and it makes them a repeat client and you make a lot more money. That's really great. You know, Liz and I have been talking a lot about that you know, we had last podcast, we were talking about finances. And, you know, when you have a business like a consulting business or something that's more volatile, it's always good practice to have something that gives you steady income or passive income. So like something that you can sell maybe an online course or some sort of thing that doesn't, you know, require that volatility. Do you also have the same sort of mindset when it comes to building a business and kind of like having different types of revenue streams? Yes, absolutely. Multiple revenue streams is where it's at. Passive income is everybody's dream. So I started doing online courses many, many, many years ago. I found that right now the space is getting a little bit crowded. So if that is you and you do want to put an online course together, please do your homework, uh, see what's out there and who's making the killing. I'm a little upset with a lot of the internet marketers out there that making it sound like, hey, you know, everybody has something to teach. Just put it in an online course and then make millions. It doesn't work like that anymore. 
And, you know, because there's so many online courses out there now that you have to be, it's the same principle as with everything in life. It's almost like sometimes I wish right now we can wait until this wave is blowing over and, you know, it eliminates like all the imposters out of the industry and we can get back to doing the real work. But it's all about credibility. If you are a subject matter expert and you're really good at this one thing, you know, by all means, go out and create passive incomes. You know, for me, that looks like I'm on the board of a startup. So I'm investing time and money into that with the hope of a return. I have several online courses through a platform called Creative Life out there. So they do all the selling for me. And I've started with them when they first built the platform. So which really helps me because now, you know, I've been an established trainer for them for a long time. So that's passive income that comes in. I've been written the book. So when the book sells, that's now passive income. I don't really have to do much for that. I'm writing another book this time, you know, with a lot more power behind it because I, you know, do want to see bigger numbers. So yes, you always want to see how can I create this business? And that's the scaling model of a business. How can I scale this business to create income without having to be there all the time. Oh my gosh. I want to talk about so many things with you. And I felt that way when I met you at the Lead Entrepreneurial Workshop, but like you were on stage and Liz, you probably sense it. She's just so real. You know, she just cuts through all the BS and I love that about you. So, but before we go into your book and your new book, I'd love to hear about that. I wanted to ask you specifically about exit plans. I found, you know, your story when you were on stage um, speaking with Navo about the Bill Gates thing. Were you always planning to have an exit? Do you always recommend that? What are your views on exit plans? And and sort of like, do you also work with women on strategies around that? If you were to go back, would you look at it differently? Just some general advice there would be great. Good question again. So exit plans are very specific. So if you start a business, you need to make a decision on whether or not you want to sell it at one point or not. Because if you want to sell it, you need to set it up completely differently. And the shortest version is everything that makes a business attractive to be acquired is its operational procedure. So if your operational procedure is standardized and can be easily taught to someone else or is transparent for somebody else or showcases how your system in somebody else's system would make more money that makes it attractive to buy. A lot of business owners go and say, I don't want to pay taxes. You know, I'm, I'm going to be creative in my bookkeeping. I don't want to set up the corporation. I'm going to just, you know, bleed the company dry. I want to make the money now, not later. Those are all things that don't make the company set them up for acquisition. So I've set my company up for acquisition the first time and I'm setting this one up for acquisition as well because I'm developing these gender balance training programs and you know this method on how I can train entrepreneur skills for in supply diversity. So I'm taking a little bit of a shift there, you know, so I'm going for larger contracts. So it's all about how do you build the system, which is what I love and what I'm naturally really good at. How do you build the system that makes this a no-brainer for somebody else to say it is so clear that I know exactly step one through 15 of what needs to be done. And when my business was acquired and they came in and they looked and they saw we had standard operational procedures and handbooks and methods, and they could literally take that book and give it to somebody else and knew exactly how our business ran. That's when they said, no problem, we'll pay you what you want. That is very 
great advice. I love that. You know, I spent most of my career in corporate and took the entrepreneurial leap just a few years ago. It was probably my biggest hurdle was to recognize that in the startup world in the very beginning, none of that exists. You're creating it. So, but with the background of being in organizational change and doing, you know, a lot of work with senior leaders on restructuring and the process and how to, you know, effectively make the changes, I was very good with standard practices and operations, but building it in a startup environment is very different than in a corporate environment. So both have its challenges, but it's a very delicate situation, right? It truly is, but it's a decision you make. And when you say, I want to be acquired, you take a risk and you're not getting paid now, but you're going to get paid later. So when my ship came in, it wasn't a kayak. It was a luxury cruise liner. And was it all worth it then? Yes, of course it was. But, you know, that was my plan. I didn't wake up and say, I want to be a millionaire. That was never my goal. But my goal was that I wanted to create something that could be sold. I just never had thought about how much it was worth. So when that day came, I just came up with a crazy number and they said, yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Liz, should we talk to her a little bit about the book before we Yeah, I'd love to provide our listeners with a link to check it out is where is the goal? All right. So the book can be found at happywomanhappyworld.com. It's available as an audiobook, as a printed book, and as a ebook, of course. And in the book, there are a couple of, you know, freebies. I have a balance training available that because I specifically designed a method for working mothers. Because when you first have that baby, when you're a young mom, it is crazy making. So I came up with a concept called egorhythm. And egorhythm is imagining like life is a loaf of bread. And instead of you know trying to have the whole bread all at once, you cut it into slices and you consume it one by one, one rhythm at a time. So in the book, you'll figure out how to identify what your rhythm is, the one you're in right now what that means, how to make that a priority, and how to not freak out about the other nine that you think you should all be in all at the same time, but you just kind of can't. So it's all it's about how do you get to have everything. It's just not all at once. So this book's an Amazon bestseller, an international Amazon bestseller. It's been called a game changer. It's been called, you know, the sigh of relief for when many working mothers, which I'm very proud of. I'm actually very much looking forward to downloading it and starting to read it because I have my two-year-old and another one on the way and balancing the first one was already challenging enough and Liz already has two. So I look up to her a lot. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to be, but I'm sure that I'm going to feel a lot of imbalance. (laughs) Pure chaos. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Pure chaos. And speaking of moms and self-care, I wanted to let you know about our podcast sponsor and Beate, you will be getting a special gift from a company called Mama Needs Box. And they are all about taking care of mom and giving mom tips on how to self-care and take a break. And every month is a theme. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's a great gift. And we are gifting you that as well. So I hope you enjoy that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Well, that's a brilliant idea. I love that idea of getting like a monthly reminder that moms need to make themselves a priority. So, you know, that sounds like a great idea. I can't wait to get it.
Yeah. I saw Liz unpacking it on Instagram stories the other day and you got some really good stuff in there. So I'm really excited for you, Beate, to get yours and see what you got in yours. (laughs) I Um, I will share it equally excitedly. Fantastic. Real quick, what is your new book about? So my new book is now about this leadership idea that I have developed about how we can upgrade the workplace to make it more women-friendly. And in essence, the idea is about the return of investment on balanced leadership. So really sharing on why men have done such a great job building this first portion of the system that works really great for men, but that we have expected that this half system is working for women. And we completely forgot that when we add more people to a system, like when more people live in a house, right? We need to add an expansion. So how do we expand this existing system to now also incorporate and accommodate women? So that's what the book's about. I love that. I genuinely believe in that. And I'm excited to see it come out. And maybe just before we wrap things up, you can give one big tip that's in there that would be an advanced, you know, sort of preview of, of something. Absolutely. So, so one of the big components of this book is the difference between the same and equal. So one of the biggest objections that we have in the workplace is that men say to women, well, you cannot do the same as I do. But when I look at a man who is 180 pounds and you know very muscular, lots of testosterone, I give him a 100 pound weight. He probably can lift that pretty easily. But now I have the two of you and I give a hundred pound weight to each one of you or Sansac. And I said, carry that. First of all, you're pregnant right now, Laura. <laughs> so you shouldn't be carrying that. And Liz, you probably neither can nor do you want to carry a hundred pound weight. I mean, you've got two kids. So what you schlepping around 30, 40 pounds, but a hundred pounds might be too much for you. So if you would carry a hundred pounds like this one guy, you would be carrying the same weight but is it equal? So equality does not mean the same. Equality means the equivalent. So every conversation, this is sort of the big tip for everybody out there in every conversation at work, in the workplace, with your husbands, with your partners, do not look for the same, look for what's the equivalent because we're not the same. Oh, that just gave me the chills. I love that. It has been so amazing chatting with you. I cannot thank you enough for your time. I really just value everything you're doing. We are on a very similar mission, as you know, and any way that we can continue to collaborate as women, supporting women, is just, it's near and dear to my heart. And I know Liz too. So thank you very much for taking the time today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I can't begin to tell you how proud I am of the two of you and how excited I am because it really takes all of us to make an impact. So the more the merrier and I like, you know, how specific you are with the mission and how you are, you know, two fabulous, you know, inside out beautiful moms that are here to make an impact and kudos to you. Thank you. All right. Well, we will catch up with you very soon and thank you again. And 
Thank you to everyone who's listening. Don't forget to like us on Instagram or Facebook and leave a comment after you listen to this podcast and let us know what really struck you, what advice you took away and implemented. We want to hear from you and any amazing comments we will try to feature in our next one of our next episodes. So thank you all for joining and we will talk to you, Lady Boss Mamas, very soon.